Hey, my friends, thanks for joining me for this episode of Real Live Talk. My name is Duke Lamastra. I'm your host, and I'm so excited that you're here to check out this conversation with Tina Yeager. Tina is an award-winning author, speaker, life coach, and a licensed counselor since 2005. She has over 20 years of experience teaching in academic, clinical, and faith-based settings. She's also the author of the book, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You, which deals heavily with the subject of identity and helping people to really just be free, to be free from the past, to be free from pain, and to walk in the fullness of what Christ has accomplished for them. Uh, This conversation, I really thoroughly enjoyed talking with Tina about identity, about dealing with fear, about being free from the lies of the enemy, and uh, so many other things. We had a really great conversation. I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this, and I would also just uh, encourage you, if you know somebody that might be struggling through life, maybe they're struggling with lies, maybe they're struggling with self-esteem issues, or loneliness or abandonment issues or resentment or bitterness or really any of the baggage that we hold on to from the past. If you know anybody that's dealing with any of that stuff, then uh, you might want to share this episode with them. I would really appreciate it and I really believe it will help them to walk in freedom. And that's what this is all about. So thank you guys again so much for joining me for this episode. If it encourages you or challenges you, if you would consider subscribing, uh, if you haven't done so already, maybe sharing, maybe leaving a review, I would greatly appreciate all of that. So thank you so, so much again. And now I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tina Yeager. And we are live. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. Uh, Tina, Thank you so much for being with me today. I really, really appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time to do this. It's uh, awesome to meet you finally. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I'm uh, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to um, just get into this conversation. We were just talking off screen a minute ago um, about your book and about the, some of the work that you do. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you kind of, um, at least at the beginning here, we'll see what happens, but centered around identity and walking in freedom in Christ. And uh, yeah, so I'm just excited that you're here. So thank you so much again. If you would just take a moment and just share with uh, our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I am licensed as a mental health counselor, but my license is in Florida. So now that I live in North Carolina as a year as of a year ago, I'm doing primarily life coaching and I do that online. So it's convenient for anybody. I'm also a podcast host and I'm a speaker and an author and a bunch of volunteer work that I do as well with various organizations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, let's uh, let's kind of start here. I'm really just interested in uh, this book. <clears throat> excuse me, the book that you wrote called "Beautiful War- Beautiful Warrior." I'm having a hard time with my voice today. "Beautiful Warrior: Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You." I love that title. Um, I know we were talking just off screen a minute ago too about how. Uh, I know a lot of the work that you do is geared toward women and helping women be free from the past and walk in freedom and all of that. And I really super appreciate that. Um, but also, you know, for anybody listening, uh, these these principles, these concepts, they're going to be the same across the board, not just for women. So um, I really uh, I, I really believe that um, that what we're going to talk about in the work that you're doing, that it's beneficial for every single person. We all need to be, (laughs) we all need to be free from the past. We all need to walk in freedom 
it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, we've all probably on some level for sure got baggage from the past that we're carrying around. And so, again, um, I'm excited to get into this conversation. Uh, would you share a little bit about, well, first of all, when did you um, release uh, the book, Beautiful Warrior? And what was your sort of mindset or desire or or passion? What sort of led you to write that book? And what are you um, looking for this book to the kind of impact that you want this book to have? Well, the book released in July of 2019. And as you know, that was a difficult year, but not as difficult as the following year (laughs) for releasing a book. (laughs) But in in the beginning, when I first was thinking about this concept, I was intending to really do a bigger message, which was how we relate to ourselves, to others and to God and how that's all connected. And then eventually it niched down to do that from the perspective of self-esteem and identity in Christ from who you are and how that relates to how you relate to God and how it relates to how you relate to others. Because that was my biggest struggle was a sense of confidence and esteem and being able to feel like I belonged or had acceptance or had any kind of worth or value. And because that was my deepest struggle, that was going to be the first place that my message came from. And usually God takes our mess and that's what he makes into the message that he speaks through us. So that was kind of my heart. I kept seeing people come into my office as a counselor with the same issue. And you're right. It isn't gender specific, although women and men are attacked in their identity with slightly different tactics where well, both both genders are attacked. Right. So yeah. I kept seeing it over and over again. Everyone had this issue of not feeling good enough, not feeling enough, not feeling as though they had enough worth and identity to fulfill a purpose that God might have for them. Well, and that's so true what you said, as far as you kind of walking through dealing with those self-esteem issues and how now that's something that the Lord has really given you a, a platform for and that that's become such a such a, a passion of your life. And like you said, um, you know, so often God takes our our struggles, he takes our mess and I think that, you know, the enemy maybe has an idea of what you're supposed to be doing in the future. I I don't know to what extent he knows, but, um, you know, I think we get attacked the most heavily in the area where we're supposed to have the greatest influence. You know what I mean? And so that that's really cool how, you know, God worked out that in your life, walking you through that process of freedom so that now you can help others, um, you know, experience freedom and the life of Christ in their lives in that in in that area in those areas as well um so would you be willing to share a little bit about your past and and uh you know maybe just a little bit about that struggle that you had personally with the self-esteem issue well i never felt even as a kid like i really belonged like i really was accepted among the other kids i was kind of that nerdy outcast kid that nobody really chummed up with. So I was kind of always on the outside looking in. I thought other people were amazing and wonderful, but it was like a homeless child looking in through the window of Tiffany's wishing she could at least get closer to the jewelry. You know, the people that were so glimmering and beautiful and wonderful, they just 
couldn't quite get close enough to be in the inner circle with the other children, with the other teenagers. I was kind of always on the outside of the edge of the groups of the people that I was in. So yeah. I, I felt like I couldn't quite fit. So when I was in middle school, I started to think maybe if I was just thinner, maybe if I was just just skinnier, just thinner, and I almost could disappear. Maybe I could at least wow. be silent and be in the presence of these other people, but there was never thin enough. And so I developed a mild eating disorder that lasted for about eight years. I wasn't hospitalized for it, but it, it continued to get worse and worse and worse um, until I was about 20. So from about 12 until about mm. 20, I had an eating disorder. So um, that disordered thinking about your body image, your self-esteem can continue even after the active behaviors of the eating disorder end. And it's all kind of tied in with that sense of low self-image, low self-esteem, mm. and not believing that you're worth and, and good enough to fulfill anything that God would have you do in his kingdom for other people. So I had to recognize that and work with the Lord through those things and overcome that. And then when I became a counselor and I realized that other people were all experiencing this, this wasn't just about me. It was about everyone needing to know who they were in Christ and that they could be free from all those shame lies that the enemy constantly attacks us with. That's when wow. I realized this was important as a, as a universal message. Hmm. Did you find, and I, I know that this is, um, there's been a, a lot of time. You, you just wrote the book in 2019. So there was a lot of time between the time when you became a counselor and, and the time that you wrote the book. But I'm just curious, this is actually a question that I, that I always ask. Um, when you wrote the book, did you find that it helped to solidify these truths and these things in you, like in a personal way, on a deeper level? Um, cause I find that once I, you know, sit down to write about something and I'm actually writing it and I'm just, you know, taking the time to go through that process and articulating those things out that, um, even if it's something where I've experienced, you know, freedom or I have experience in that area, you know, hopefully I'm writing about something where I've got some experience at least, but if I'm writing and there's some experience and there's been some breakthrough in that area that it always just seems like going through that process of writing is just really cathartic and that it helps me to sort of almost seal those issues or seal those things within myself as I'm going through that writing process. Um, do you understand the question I'm asking? Is, is that something yes. that you experienced when you, well, because, when you wrote the book? Well, because I had started to write another book, a bigger book, I had already started doing some of that with that other bigger book. And then even more so because you teach what you most need to learn and what you mostly need to learn is what you will end up teaching. And like you Love said, that. as you, as you teach, you grow deeper in the things that you're teaching because you have to, you have to be authentic when you're sharing that message with others. So you must mm. deepen those roots in that truth when you're teaching it so that you can stand firm enough to support other people. So cool. Um, okay. So you were talking about, so you mentioned self-esteem um, issues. You mentioned the eating disorder. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking as you were talking that so often these sort of symptoms show themselves in our lives, right? So in your case, you know, you, you had that struggle with the eating disorder. Um, you had the struggle with, you know, feeling like um, I just need to be thinner so that people can accept me. Um, but then you, you said that that thin was never thin enough. 
And uh, it's just so um, it's so sick and twisted how the enemy just, you know, distorts things and twists things and manipulates, you know, people in, in that way. Um, but so often I think that there are these issues that that happen and sometimes it might be a sin issue. It might be an addiction. It might be a bad habit, um, something like that. But sort of stemming from a root cause, which, you know, we were talking about the issue with self-esteem, you know, it could be something like loneliness or, you know, just feeling like you're not accepted or something of that nature. Um, and so, you know, sort of not always just focusing on, because what we could do, I think a lot of times, Tina, is we can look at people and look at the issues that they have and we can kind of like write them off because, oh, they're that kind of person. They have this problem. They have this. And just sort of looking at those things, but really, those things are a symptom so often of something that's really going on on a deeper level, and they might not even know how to control that. And um, so I, I'm just curious, like when we talk about, you know, walking in freedom and, and you as a counselor and writing this book and being a life coach and the way that you walk through these issues with people, do you often find that as you're talking with people and, and dealing with people that you end up sort of dealing with issues there are, are people like surprised when they find out that like their problem might not be the actual problem that they thought it was. There actually <laughs> might be something that's going on on a deeper level. I think that's true for everybody because we're in this place of layeredness we have pieces that are on the top that are on the surface, just like a wound. If you go in for triage, you'll see something on the surface. But until you get into the triage and you get into the diagnosis and you find out what's under that, you're not going to know there's a broken bone unless you do an x-ray. You're not going to know how deep that cut, that gash goes until you really you know, assess what's going on with that wound or what caused it to begin with. And often people don't realize the root of where these issues started and what they've done to cover it up, to numb it out, to, to turn to the wrong things for healing and hope and, and freedom and end up more in bondage because of turning to the wrong things. Like yeah. I was, I was friends with Jesus when I was a kid, but then I so wanted friendship with other people that I started shifting my focus to wanting to be accepted and didn't realize wow. the problem was becoming an idolatry of being accepted by people. And that became a huge problem that that escalated into all kinds of issues and rejection fears. And and it just snowballs and the enemy knows how to just distract us a little bit and just give us enough of a lie that we'll swallow it and believe it. And so people that end up with all kinds of issues that are now on the surface sometimes have done that because they've covered a deeper wound with all wow. the wrong things. And the wound has gotten wow. infected and festered and gotten worse and they don't realize yeah. how deep it goes. So you can only treat what's on the surface first and then get down to the deeper things as you go. It takes time to really get down to those deeper things safely and in a way that people can actually receive it. Because if you tell somebody when they first come into your office as a counselor or a life coach, here's all the things that you need to do to get better and get your life on track. They're not gonna listen to you. Mm -hmm. They're just not because they're not ready to hear all of those things. You have to do it in layers and you have to do it step-by-step step in the things that people can metabolize and take with them and move forward in. Because People can only move one step at a time forward, right? 
Yeah. And, and that can be, that process can be painful, right? Yes. Yes. Um, Cause as you're saying, you know, sometimes I think we so often do that. Um, I've noticed that in my own life, Tina, like where I thought that I was like over something and really what I had done was just got into a point of numbness, you know, in that area of my life, but I never really dealt with the underlying issue. And then so I think that there's times where the Holy Spirit will work in your life to kind of draw things to your attention, to bring things to the surface. But then, as you said, like cleaning out a wound, you know, sometimes you've got to open that thing up so that you can, you know, clean and disinfect mm -hmm. and kind of get get to the deeper issue that's really causing the problem so that it can actually heal properly. You know what I mean? So that you can actually move forward and heal properly. So, um yeah, so it can be uh, not always the most fun thing <laughs> in the world, right? There can be a lot of pain associated with that, um, just dealing with those issues of the past. Um, but it's always worth it, right? Yes. And if you go through that process with somebody who's gentle with you, the way God is gentle with us, you'll recognize that we take one step at a time. We go as far as you can go and then just a little bit further to get a little bit of healing. And then as you go and as you're ready, eventually you'll get to that place where you realize this was all worth it because you get to a place of greater and greater and greater healing. And I think we'll be completely healed when we get to heaven, but there's always room for us to continue to grow and be stronger against those attacks of the enemy because he's going to keep attacking us in those same places. As we get stronger, we're able to resist it better. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. And like, what do you think are some ways that we can like begin to walk in healing. So like if if I'm somebody and I'm recognizing that there's an issue, maybe an unresolved issue in my life and it's causing, you know, it's causing challenges, it's causing, you know, whatever it might be, it's caused me to have anger issues or it's, I'm I'm frustrated all the time or, you know, I'm just I'm not moving toward my purpose in the right direction or whatever it might be and I recognize that there might be some issues, you know, in my from my past or some issues, some challenges that I'm dealing with that are that are holding me back. I mean, what are some things that I can begin to do to open myself up to the Lord to heal, you know, those areas of my life? That well, might be a you, big, broad question. It is a big <laughs> question, but we can take a little bite of that at a time yeah, and, let's, let's and start with yeah. like the way that, that David always brought everything to God. Even when David was in his deepest moments of sinfulness and and just really not doing the right things, he would bring everything before the Lord and pour it out at his feet. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, not because he did everything right, not because he even thought about the things that he should be thinking about all the time or even had the right mm -hmm. thoughts all the time. But the Lord met him where he was and listened to him in his moments of angst and anguish. And that's why we have the Psalms. So going before the Lord, and if you have not had a lot of experience in prayer, maybe finding a Psalm that resonates with you and praying through that and praying and just pouring all of that out at God's feet and saying, this is where I'm at. I have all of this angst and I have these emotions that I'm dealing with. And I think it's related to something and I can't quite identify with it. And just pouring that out before God, first of all, and listening, just taking time to just 
recognize that he's present with you. If you don't hear anything, that's fine, but ask him to guide you toward other people that are going to be healthy, safe people to support you. And then after you've asked God to guide you toward those safe people, start looking for who he's bringing into your life. That's going to walk alongside you because man should not be alone. Even when Eden was perfect, still God said, man should not be alone. So we're not wow. meant to go through life alone or to deal with our wounds now that the world is broken in a place where we're alone. So finding somebody who can be objective and help be there for you in that process of healing is really important because it's really hard to go through that by yourself. And God says, we don't need to, he's going to bring us the people that we need if we just ask him to bring those people. But make sure that you're depending on God to bring you the right people, because that is very important that you get healthy people to support you, not the kind of people that are going to just commiserate with you and go, yeah, you should go knock his teeth out. I understand where you're mad. Those, those kind of people are fun to be around because they validate all of your anger, but they may not be the best people at moving you forward in growth. Wow. And do you, do you think and, and I'm I'm genuinely uh, I'm not the way I'm going to ask this question. It sounds like I'm trying to lead it in a certain direction. I'm not. I'm genuinely curious. Um, do you think that it's important to recognize why? So like if we're if we're looking at an issue from our past or, or something like that, that's affecting our present. Do you think it's important to. Like, like we're talking about sort of identifying the root causes of things so that we can deal with them. Do you think it's important or how important do you think it is to recognize sort of like the why or the, you know, what caused that to happen? Like, do you think that that's something that's essential in order for us to be truly free from something? Or do you think the Holy Spirit can just sort of deal with issues in our past that we bring to him without us really understanding why that was there in the first place? Well, the Holy Spirit can do anything he wants to do. So yeah. <laughs> there's nothing limiting the Holy Spirit from healing you without uh -huh. that. But it does depend on the situation because sometimes the Lord wants you to know so that you can help other people who've been through that. And if it's important for your healing to go find out what that was, like say it's an unresolved trauma. And once you recognize what that trauma was, then you're able to go, oh, this is the trigger and recognize mm. why things are triggering you and be able to disconnect the trigger from the trauma. And learning how to do that may require some professional help, but going through something and trying to go back and trace back to a trauma by yourself, if it's a really severe trauma, might be difficult for you to do on your, on your own. It might not be the best idea to do it on your own. If you have a mm. professional with you that can ground you in the present, when you're identifying the root cause of that trigger that keeps recurring and keeps causing problems for you, then that professional can help you disconnect the trauma from the trigger, or at least diminish the power of the trigger to change your present every time it comes up so that you know how to deal with those triggers when they come up. And I'm talking about like severe trauma, like violence or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like war history situation or mm -hmm. something like a sexual abuse issue or something along those lines or neglect issue where you were abandoned, something that's a severe, severe trauma. 
you may need some help and you may need to know what that is so that you can you can diminish the power of something because there's a power in something that's kept secret it can continue wow. to spring up over and over again however do not discount the power of the holy spirit if you're not able to trace that back to heal that trauma anyway because the holy spirit can do whatever he wants but sometimes he wants you to know what it is so that you have the power to say yes me too i've been through that too and i can help you now in my very humble opinion if i had to give you a grade for that answer i would give that a 100 percent. that was that was <laughs> okay uh, uh, i really i really enjoyed hearing you articulate that the way you just did i thought that that was a really uh, just really well thought out and, and thoughtful way of answering that question. So I really do appreciate that. Um, I, I, uh, so with, with these issues, like dealing with issues of the past and, you know, opening up and allowing the Lord to heal you, you know, like you said, so often there's this, there's this desire to kind of keep things hidden, or there's a tendency, I should say, maybe that's a better word to, to kind of keep things hidden. Um, do you often find that there's a lot of shame associated, you know, when people start talking about their issues and, and challenges? Do you find that a lot of people are just sort of ashamed of the things that they've gone through um, or even ashamed of like, you know, thinking that maybe someone who's been walking with the Lord for a whole bunch of time, thinking they were over something like I mentioned a minute ago, you know, thinking they were over something, but then recognizing that maybe there's there's still some issues there. Do you often find that people, you know, just have shame when it comes to dealing with the issues of their past? Absolutely. I think that's one of the enemy's favorite things to get us with, because if we keep it hidden and keep it secret, then it's not going to get healed. And there is that tendency, if you have a wound, to want to cover it up. If you if you hurt yourself, what's the first thing that you yeah. do? You hold it, True. you cover it up, right? So <laughs> we don't want to expose the things that are already hurting we are afraid that that vulnerable place is going to get hurt even worse when we expose it, wow. even to God. Wow. You know, we're afraid that God might hurt us. Maybe he'll shame us. And the enemy wants us to believe that God is not good. And we, and he wants us to believe that God is like man and God cannot be trusted. And God might try to hurt us in those places of vulnerability. But if you really focus on the life and nature of Jesus and what he did with people that were sinful, that were wounded, the Samaritan woman, I mean, think about her life, how abused and discarded she must have been to have to go to the well in the heat of the day. She was so filled with shame. Her life has been just this horrible story of men rejecting her and discarding her. And now at this point, she's living with a guy that she's not even married to. She's in the ultimate place of shame in a community that is considered the outcast community by the Jews. The Jews won't even speak to them. They don't want to be near them. They would go all the way across the river and out of their way by miles and miles just to avoid being near the Samaritans. Wow. And yet this woman was the most hated of all the Samaritan women. And that's mm. who Jesus chose as his evangelist. He wow. chose the least of all the people in the least community to be one of the first evangelists of the gospel. That's so good. Ah, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I, I love those stories where Jesus um, just kind of shows up and he honors somebody. He, he shows them how valuable they are when they were in one of those moments of, of brokenness. You know, I think about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and there's all these men standing around here ready to stone her and how Jesus kind of just steps in the middle there 
and he just speaks a few words that causes the the men in the circle to sort of examine themselves and to walk away recognizing that um you know that they all they all had sin you know in their lives and that this this woman he he approaches her and uh and he lets her know i don't condemn you you know i where are your accusers they've all left he says well i don't condemn you either and then he tells her go and sin no more you know he gives her that instruction but it came from this place of really demonstrating i think the the heart of the father the, the love of the father in such a a profound moment in her life of probably feeling broken um and uh you know just feeling wounded and feeling ashamed and so so often i think that i mean you 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 hit it on the head that it's just such a common tactic of the enemy to keep us from really walking in freedom and walking in healing and sort of taking it upon ourselves to, well, I'm just going to cover this up and pretend like it's not there. And if I don't see it, then is it really there? You know, that kind of a thing. And just kind of walking through life that way for the sake of, of shame or for the sake of not wanting to uncover something or expose something. But God is so good in that he doesn't like God's not in this to to try to discredit us. He's not in this to try to make us feel ashamed. He's not in this to condemn us. He's not in this to make us feel like to be exposed in front of all these people. Right. And to like, he's not, he's not into that. He actually covers us, his grace, his love. He covers us. Love covers a multitude of sin. But when we approach him in the right way and we allow him access into those areas of our life. And as you said, so often that involves in, allowing someone that you can trust and confide in to help walk you through that process because we're not supposed to you know always do these things alone for sure but to open our heart up to the lord to really allow him to have his way and to bring healing into our hearts it's it's he's so good at it but like you said we so often maybe have this wrong concept of who god is that causes us to reject that or causes us to close ourselves off um, to really allowing him to work in our lives in that way, you know? Exactly. Exactly. If you think about how much he wants us to have healing, to have life, to be close to him, how desperately he loves us and wants mm. to just wrap himself tenderly around all yeah. those broken, wounded places. He ripped himself open to wrap himself around us and clothe us with righteousness. He wants us so badly to be fully healed, to live forever in abundance that he died and took all of our sins and allowed himself to be tortured on our behalf for all the things that were broken about us. We don't have yeah. to live in that anymore because he took it on himself so we could be free. So good. Whew. I love that. Um, I love that description you just gave of of Jesus being ripped open and the way that he was so openly, you know, exposed, you know, the, the way that he was exposed, um, being, you know, hanging naked on the cross, um, the way that he literally gave all of himself so that we could walk in that freedom, you know, and the Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, right? Like, he went through all that he went through, not just so that we could all go to heaven one day, which is glorious. And if that was it, that would be more than enough. But also so that here while we're on the earth, that we could experience the victory 
that his that yeah the, the victory of what he's secured for us and to really walk in that freedom and it's for freedom that he set us free like everything that he did he set us free and now it's like he wants us to walk in this process of freedom with him of actually experiencing what he came to suffer and to die to give to us um that's such a beautiful thing yes and i love something that i i noticed um as i was reading it might have just been in the uh description of your book i i don't exactly remember where i saw this but where you referred to not just the term self-esteem but you talked about christ-centered esteem um could you uh explain what you mean by that well, our, our best self is the self that is made new by Jesus, right? So he mm -hmm. gives us a new identity. We're born again into his identity. So it's really not about us at all. Our esteem, our confidence is about who he is. And by relationship with him, we become his heirs, his offspring. We are his children. We are the daughters of the Most High King and the sons of the Most High King. That's our true identity. But the enemy wants to steal that away and do anything that he possibly can to distract us from believing that. Because if all of us truly believed who we are in Christ, that we are the sons and the daughters of the Most High King, that we are filled with his presence, with his spirit, that we are empowered by his righteousness, not our own, not by anything we did to deserve it, but by what he deserves and we can glorify yeah. him and do his will. If we believed that, how would that change the world and the way that we operate in it? Wow. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's incredible. You threw out the, uh, you threw out the I word identity. <laughs> so let's go in that direction a little bit because that's, um, that's one of my favorite things to, uh, to talk about. And, I loved, um, I haven't finished it yet, but I've, I've loved, um, you know, reading through your book and, uh, you know, the title of the book is beautiful warrior, uh, finding victory over the lies formed against you. And, um, I, I know that that title must've, I, I know that that title when you wrote that was intentional and, and that what really stuck out to me there was the lies formed against you, um, that, you know, the enemy is out to really attack you on the basis of your identity, right? Um, it's what he did with Eve in the garden. It's what he did with Jesus when, you know, in, uh, in Matthew chapter four and in Luke chapter four, when he's out there and after, uh, you know, fasting 40 days and 40 nights and the enemy's there and he's tempting him and all these things. And what was the, the first thing that he said was, if you are the son of God and Jesus had just um, in, in the previous chapter, just a few verses earlier, he had just heard those words from his father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first thing that we see the enemy saying to Jesus is, if you are the son of God. And uh, I, I think that that's just, um, you know, it's a really systematic way that the enemy tries to attack all people. Um, but, you know, th those that, um, you know, sons and daughters of God, that he tries to get at the identity issue and question that relationship, you know, question the, the, 
real, I guess, completeness and effectiveness of God's love. And so we see in like sort of both situations with like Eve in the garden and then with Jesus in that area, like, um, you know, I see like a lot of parallels there. But one of the things was not just attacking the person, but also attacking the character of God. And and as you mentioned, you know, being Christ centered in our you know self-esteem, not just in other words, self-esteem, not just focused on me, but I am who I am because because of him, because of who he is and because of who he says that I am. And so, um, you know, I think that when the enemy comes, he's always looking at, you know, attacking those two areas, attacking like the nature and the character of God in our lives and then attacking, you know, who we are. Um, in Christ and sort of trying to throw some dirt or like put some whatever he can on our understanding of what that really means and what that's all about, you know? Yeah. He's trying to do the ultimate theft when he's trying to take away who we truly are by separating us from understanding who we are according to who God says we are and who God is. And that was so true. What you said, that was really well stated I love that. And it occurs to me that our identity is always a relational thing. It's always centered on how connected we are with the identity of our creator. When we get further and further away from that, from listening to him to dwelling in him, we become less like him. When we come closer to him, when we dwell more with him and within him and allow him to dwell in us, then we become more fully who he created us to be and we become more fully his ambassadors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that I remember reading um, in your book is that, you know, our, our significance doesn't come from our circumstances, Words like the circumstances of my life don't dictate who I am. Um, so where where does our significance come from? It comes from what God says about us. Because as you see with all the people that Jesus touches, with all the people that God calls, even in the Old Testament, we are who God says we are, not just what's happened to us, not where we've been, not even who we think we are, because we sometimes don't even know who God has called us to be. Think about Gideon. Mm. When the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, this is another one of my very favorite stories. Yeah. He was in the middle of a pit. He was trying to thresh wheat underground in a wine press, which was down in a pit. So you can't thresh wheat in a pit because it requires wind. So this guy's in this yeah. ridiculous place, throwing the wheat up and probably blowing on it or something ridiculous like that. I mean, just imagine how, how comical he must've looked when the angel of the Lord showed up and he says, hail mighty warrior. And here's this guy down in a pit. And he says, wow. you've got the wrong dude. I am the least important person of the least important clan in all of Israel. And we're being oppressed by enemy forces. So we're not even important as a nation anymore. So who are you calling mighty warrior? You got, go to the next farm. I mean, he's just like, who, who do you think I am? And um, like the angel got it wrong or something. Mm -hmm. So the whole scene is kind of funny in a way, if you look at it like that. And the angel of the Lord says, no, he, he's calling you. God is calling you by what he says you're becoming. And that's what he does for us. He calls us by what we're becoming in him, by who he says we're going to be, by who he's going to equip us to become, not wow. just by where we've been or what's happened to us 
or even who we think we are right now. Because think about Peter. Jesus called Peter the rock. Peter was not a rock at the time when Jesus called him yeah. a rock, you know, <laughs> not even close. He was he was doing whatever came first into his head and it wasn't always well thought out. So I think Peter was ADHD. That's so, right. <laughs> but it makes him a good pastor because he can focus on a lot of things all at the same time. But but yeah, Peter, right. Peter was not a rock, but Jesus knew what Peter would become. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Peter, Peter was so, Peter cracks me up for sure. Peter was so headstrong and uh, just like how he can go from, from, uh, from one minute to, um, you know, like, like, no Lord, far be it, far be it from you. You're not going to do that. Like, like in, uh, I think it's in, it's in Matthew, it's not 17. I think it's Matthew 16 where in that story that you're talking about right there, right? Where Jesus uh, tells him on this, you're Peter on this rock, you're, I'm going to build my church. And then like 30 seconds later, I don't know, I, it seems like it was in the same conversation. Uh, P Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, to the same guy who he had just told, you know, you're a rock on this rock, I'm going to build my church and, and all that stuff, right? He's he, he had to call him out like within almost the same breath because again, he was there in that place of putting his foot in his mouth. But, um, but it's so cool that to me that speaks volumes to exactly what you're saying. That God doesn't just, you know, He doesn't treat us on the basis of our mistakes and our failures and stuff like that. Because what He does is He sees us in the light of what Jesus accomplished for us, and He treats us, you know, and and He relates to us. He relates to he knows how to relate to where we are right now in terms of, you know, in our struggles and all that kind of stuff. Like he's perfect at relating to us. But at the same time, he's not just like he's not treating us as people who are just broken and confused and don't know what's going on. But he knows this higher purpose and this calling that he has for us. And he calls those things out of us because that's what he sees because that's that's who we are, mm -hmm. you know. It's such a big deal. And uh, it's interesting, too, how, you know, you mentioned Gideon and the children of Israel are there like going through this cycle, right, over and over again of getting into trouble and then crying out to God and God raises up a judge and God delivers them. And then like once they're comfortable again, you know, certain amount of time passes and they're comfortable, they just forget all about God again until more trouble comes. Uh, we're good, <laughs> not sure okay. there, but we're good and we're still connected. So we're just going to keep going. Um, but, and then in that situation where, you know, getting, getting into that place again of being disconnected from God and turning their backs on God, but then again, God delivering them. And so they're in this place of being oppressed by all these enemy nations and they're crying out to God to deliver them. And like, what is God's solution? God's solution is, as you said, to raise up this guy, Gideon, to fight for them, with them, on their behalf. Who's this guy who, according to the words out of his own mouth, he's like the least in his family. He's of the smallest tribe, that he's like this insignificant person. And it's just so cool how God doesn't look at us the way that everybody else looks at us. And... You know, no matter for anybody that would be listening to this, no matter how 
many issues you think you might have, no matter how insignificant you might feel, how broken you might feel, that God doesn't look at you that way. God looks at you the way he looked at Gideon as a, as a mighty warrior, as a man or as a woman of God. And you have so much to offer this world. And God has placed you here for, for a reason. God's placed you here with purpose and with destiny. And so, you know, Tina, if we could just begin to, to think the way that God thinks and to see ourselves the way that he sees us, you know, I think that that causes a lot of things to shift and change in our lives, right? Absolutely. As soon as we are willing to see it's not about us, it's not about what we deserve, it's not about our success, it's not about yeah. results that we can see because a lot of those people didn't see results. It's about God doing what God is going to do. And we don't have to understand it. We just have to be in relationship with him and trust him. That is the key, but it isn't easy. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's not easy. It's not, <laughs> it's not always easy. I love that you said just now that it's not about us. You know, I think that that's something that can be really helpful is to to remember that it's not about us because I, I think that as Christians we can get caught up in like the pride thing like oh I don't want to be be prideful and so we relate that to I don't know like not wanting to think highly of ourselves mm -hmm. maybe even in a certain way thinking that having like high self-esteem could somehow be sinful and I don't think that that's true at all um, but I but I think that you know, we can kind of fall into that trap. But I think something that can help guard and protect against that is remembering like, hold on, it's not about me anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. Like, it's it's not about me. So if it's about other people, if my life is is here, like if I'm here, and I have a purpose, and that purpose is to help other people in whatever capacity that is, whatever that might look like, then you know, in other words, if I'm not making it about me, I don't think I have to be afraid of falling into that, that trap of like, like, oh, you know, pride, pride's coming. You got to be careful. You got to be careful not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And uh, I, I don't know. I just think that we have some weird ideas sometimes yeah. about this kind of stuff as, as believers, you know? Yeah. I think pride and shame are a two-headed dragon. They're both focused wow. on yourself. So the enemy will bite you Good. on one end with pride and then he'll knock you down and hit you with shame. But it's the same dragon. It's all about you. Both of them are all about you. And I didn't make this up. I, I've read it in other places. Beth Moore has said it before. But pride and shame are both connected in the self-centeredness of them. And when you have one, you will get the other because it's all focused on yourself. When we're focused on God, and is God good enough? Or is this serving God? Is this serving God's purpose? Am I submitted to God's will? Am I being obedient to him? Then we don't have to worry about pride. We don't have to worry about shame because it's not about me. I have before just really lamented to the Lord about how, oh Lord, I'm just not enough. I'm just not, I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm never going to be enough. Yeah. And he said, good. I'm glad you realized that I am. Come on. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so that was good. That was very, there was a very good turning point. I have to keep reminding myself because like I said, the enemy just keeps attacking us with those same things over and over and over again. And mine is this 
failure message. You're a failure. You're a failure. And he keeps mm. hitting me with that. But I have to remember, it's not about me. It's not about whether I'm successful or not. It's about whether Jesus is glorified and whether his purposes are served. If he's served, I don't have to think about whether I'm successful or not. I think about the recently I've been thinking about the early apostles and their journeys mm -hmm. and the things that happened to them. I wonder if they felt successful. I mean, they were beaten up. Their churches had hostility in them. <laughs> Everything was falling apart. Heretics were running people out of the church. It was just a big disaster every way that you look at it. And yet it was the founding of the Christian faith and they couldn't possibly wow. have foreseen how impactful all of those things would have been after their lives were over, but it served God's purposes and it served it well, according to the way God wanted it done. And yet, you know, I mean, they kept going, they had some perseverance. I got to give them props for the perseverance for getting through what they did. But if I'm going to look at my life based on my circumstances and my level of mm -hmm. success right in this second, am I really thinking about God's overall arch, overarching purposes and what's serving the kingdom of God? Or am I just thinking about me? Wow. Wow. And I think, I think another trap um, that I, that I was, that I just thought of as you were saying that is when we start comparing ourselves to other mm -hmm. people. Right. And I know you talk about that in your book as well. Um, could you just talk about that for a second? Like um, just the, the danger of living our lives that way, where we are constantly comparing ourselves up against, you know, either somebody else or some other ministry or some other, you know, whatever it might be, you know what I mean? But um, comparing ourselves in that way, like how the enemy, you know, uses that against God's people. Well, God saw this in the moments that he spent with Jesus and Peter after Jesus's ascension and coming back. Peter, when he was being restored, was very jealous of the close relationship that Jesus had with John. And John was kind of following at a distance when Jesus was reinstating Peter. And Peter says, well, what about him? You know, instead of thinking about what's going on between Peter and Jesus, this very important moment where he's getting completely forgiven for denying Jesus, he's like, well, what about, what about your favorite guy over there? And Jesus is right. like, that has nothing to do with you is basically his answer. And that also applies to us. What if Peter had not fulfilled his mission because he was looking at John? Wow. What would have, what could have possibly happened? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, really chilling to think what might've happened if he stayed in that place of comparison. And that's exactly what we need to recognize that God has a unique purpose. He has, he has a purpose for all of us to honor and glorify him, but he has a unique purpose for each of us. There's only one you. He went all the way down to the, to the point of making each person's DNA so specific and so individualized that you can tell from a drop of blood, one person from another. If you are that unique as an individual, he went to great lengths to create you as a unique individual and you have a unique purpose. If you are constantly looking to the side, you're not looking up and you're not looking forward and you will not move in the direction that God wants you to do. If you're constantly looking to the right or to the left, 
stay in your lane. If you're running a race, and there's a lot of race running analogies in the New Testament, if you're running the race and you start looking to the right or to the left instead of looking forward in your own lane, what will happen? You'll drift out of your lane, you'll slow down, and you will not finish the race because you'll probably trip yourself and the people yeah. that are next to you. Trip some other people too, right? Yep. <laughs> you end up taking other people out with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that old uh, adage that hurt people hurt people. I don't know if that's an adage. I, I don't know what an adage is actually. Uh, but but that but that statement that hurt people hurt people is so true. Uh, the Bible brings that out a lot when it talks about you know offenses. And mm -hmm. when we don't deal with offenses, you know the the word for offense is like a stumbling block. And so again, with that running analogy, you know you can become a stumbling block to other people when, you know, again, if, if there's an issue, an unresolved issue in your life and you're not dealing, you know, you haven't dealt with it. And so, you know, that's causing you to, you know, maybe you're living under a lie that's causing you to, yeah, slow down, take yourself out of the race, compare yourself to other people, or maybe causing you to like, you know, kind of spew that same sort of resentment or bitterness or whatever it is that you're feeling or living with you know, putting that out there for other people, you know, you can end up becoming a, a stumbling block, you know, to other people and cause them to, you know, this, this whole thing is like, like you're talking about how every person is unique down to, you know, a drop of blood, being able to, to tell somebody's uniqueness and how God has made us that way and how like we're all needed, you know, we're, we're all needed. Like the body of Christ is stronger when you recognize who you are and who God created you to be. And I, I love even what Romans 8 says about how creation itself, I think it's, it's right around verse 19, creation itself is, is groaning with this expectation, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. That when God's people are revealed to the world, like so, so often we're, we're hiding ourselves away because, you know, whatever, because we think we have too many issues or that God can't use me or whatever it might be. And we hold back and, you know, therefore the people around us that God would actually want to impact through us, they don't have that opportunity because we've taken ourselves out of that race. That's right. You know? And there are only certain people that will listen to you more than they would listen to another person that might have That's a right. similar message because you're uniquely gifted and crafted to reach those people and they'll respond to you in a different way. And you may be geographically in a different place than this other person. So you might see, you know, I have a same message as this person or that person, but they're not you. And God exactly. is calling you with this message for a reason. That's so good. Yeah. I think that that's really relevant today too, because in, in, you know, we can, look around and probably find like I can look around and find a lot of other people that are doing things that are similar to what I'm doing as far as podcasting, as far as pastoring, as far as, you know, people, you can look around and see people that are writing about being free from the lies of the past and stuff like that. And we could look at that and say, oh, well, that's already been done. That's already out there. We don't need to do that. But if God's calling you to do something, he's calling you to do it for a reason. And it's exactly what you said, because 
God wants to impact people through your life that maybe those other people that did that aren't going to have the same opportunity to impact because yeah, it may, maybe something similar has been done before, but you haven't done it yet. And because like God's fingerprint is on your life and he's made you unique, he's given you a unique expression to express that. And so I just think that so often we, we just hold back and we don't go forward and we don't pursue the things that God is calling us to do because of these kinds of issues, because of thinking that we're not good enough because of the comparison thing or, you know, all these different things that we put on ourselves. Exactly. And that's the enemy's strategy. He wants to keep us from our identity. He wants to keep us from our purpose and he wants to disconnect us from God, from our own identity, from ourselves and from other people through fear and fear is another one of his favorite little weapons. And that could be a whole yes. other discussion, but that comes from woundedness. Sometimes our woundedness wow. and our anger um, that's on the surface of that, trying to protect us underneath that is woundedness and fear. Usually anger wow. is just a surface. Well, anger is always just a surface emotion. It is not the only mm. emotion. There's always something vulnerable underneath that, a wound or a fear or both. Do you think that fear often comes from this like desire to protect ourselves? Usually, yes. It comes from a yeah. sense of being helpless or wanting to um, protect ourselves from some danger that we see, but we take it too far. We take it beyond concern and responding in a wise way to a true danger to becoming so afraid that we're trying to be self-protective, which puts us in mm. an Iron Maiden, and makes us hurt ourselves more than we protect ourselves. And it also disconnects us from God because we are saying, I'm going to be my own protector. I'm going to take charge of defending myself against yeah. everybody, including what God might want me to do. Wow. I feel like fear and lies, you know, we're talking about the, the finding victory over the lies formed against you that, fear and lies are like best friends oh, right? yeah. or they're or best enemies whatever you want to call it like <laughs> you know what i mean but like they're those two things they always go hand in hand you know i think that anytime in your life that you are operating in fear i would say that in that area of your life you're under the influence of a lie w would you agree with that yes because the opposite of love is not hate it is fear yeah, come on. So if you think about that, where we are dwelling in fear, and I'm not here to shame people who are clinically dealing with anxiety. It happens. Fear happens. But what we do with that fear and how we respond to that fear, and whether we take that to the Lord, whether we try to seek healing for that and manage that instead of letting it manage us is up to us. We can ask God to help us to be equipped to manage that fear in a healthy way that doesn't keep us in enmity with ourselves with god and with other people and that's where the enemy wants us he wants us isolated he wants us in this place of darkness where we're protecting yeah. ourselves because then it's all about us think about how we think when we're in fear it's all about us it's all about us and them and fear has all these nasty subsets they're all cousins and they all work together insecurity mm. is part of fear yeah. prejudice is part of fear come on 
You know, I mean, think about all of those nasty little things that fear gives birth to, and they separate us from one another. We become enmity and enmity inside of our churches because there's an us and them. I'm afraid your side is going to get power and I'm not going to get power. So helplessness is another one of those. And being able to be pious and think that we are better than other people is prideful, but it also is yeah. playing together in that same little playground with fear, trying to yep. create like this strategy to keep us from God's will of loving one another, of working together in harmony, which the psalmist said is is one of the most beautiful things. It's like oil running down Aaron's beard. So we're, we're meant to work in harmony with one another to create places where we are together in the kingdom of God, serving his purposes, not seeing ourselves in these us and them, pitting ourselves against one another, mm. fearful, fear-based, divisive relationships within the church or within our communities where the church is rising up and saying, oh, you people and you people. Yeah. And, you know, we get in this victim mentality too. So Ooh. that can be a dangerous place to be. We are not victims. We are victors in Christ. And coming to this in a place of confidence where we know that we have already won and recognizing that we can stand in the truth from that instead of being angry and fearful is really, really important so that we represent Jesus the right way. Sorry, I went off on a tangent, I guess. That was good. But no, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, go ahead. Were you, were you going to add something? No, no. I mean, I just feel like that's kind of where we're at today is the enemy yeah. is really targeting us with fear and all of its nasty little offspring. So it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. You know, I, I hadn't really thought about this in a while, but as you said that, I mean, if we look back to sort of the beginning of the pandemic here in the in the US, um, when it really started taking off around like March, getting into April, there was a real sort of panic and fear, I think that swept over our nation and really the world. Um, uh, you know, a, a fear that kind of covered, it was just so prevalent. And I never really made this connection before, but maybe there's a connection because also during that year when when there was so much fear and uncertainty just sweeping across our world. Well, let me talk about the United States because I'm I'm not as well versed as <laughs> in other nations, but like there was a there was real fear. You know, I was talking to people and people just afraid, like not knowing what was going to happen, you know, afraid to go to the grocery store, afraid to, you know, do, do all these different things. And then like all these other things started happening um, in a very short period of time. Like, like, as you said, there were, there were all of these, um, you know, these very like high profile things that happened with like the um, racial injustice and all these different things that sort of came out. And I really think that we're at a place in our society now where we've been fighting against each other. There's been this us and them mentality. It's always been there. It's not that it's not always been there. But I just think that so many things that were a little bit more covered up have just been exposed a little bit more um, in this it, just in this past season that we've come through. And it's just so polarizing today. Um, you know, the 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 differences and like not being able to it's almost like like you're not allowed to 
accept somebody else who has a different viewpoint or a different ideology as you and all of that stuff. I just think it comes from that place of fear. Exactly. As you said, I, you, you explained it so well. Um, you know, those these things of um, treating other people as less than um, prejudice, these, you know, different things that we do to people, these wrong mindsets that 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 we get comes. It all comes from this place of fear of, well, you're different than me, so I need to protect myself. You're different than me, so I need to defend myself or, you know, whatever the line of thinking is. But, you know, it comes from that place of fear. But as you said, perfect love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. You said that hate is not the opposite of love, that fear is the opposite of love. I, that, that That's such a good point. Um, perfect love casts out fear. Fear doesn't exist in the same place as love. So when we allow the love, like when we actually start to stand up and to live in and function in the love of Christ, then this fearful stuff that causes us to look out for ourselves and just protect ourselves like that stuff goes out the window and we start to think like he thinks like in philippians 2 let this mind be in you which was in christ jesus uh, to and and then he talks about esteeming others as better than yourself looking out for the needs of others not just for yourself fear causes me to look inward and to focus on what i need and so it causes me to protect myself and defend myself it causes me to hold back but love will always cause me to get outside of my comfort zone for the sake of someone else's betterment or increase because it's focused on, well, first of all, it's focused on God, but God is so focused on people that it's, uh, it, it just automatically becomes the outflow that we end up focusing on the needs of others. Um, I've rambled a little bit there, but I really enjoyed well. What you, I, what, I think what it relates saying. to the main really core message more than we think it does, because here's the thing. There is no fear in love. And who is love? And what is our main commandment? And that goes back to my original thought when I was originally called to speak this message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor yeah, as yourself. Yeah. This is where our identity comes from. It comes from love himself. When we are living in fear, we are not living in our true identity, in our Christ-centered confidence. When we live in that confidence, we can overcome other people's fear and our fear and reach out to people who are wounded and cover that with our love and our grace and reach out to them and say, hey, I know you're hurting and I care about you and not care about how they're acting or whether they're doing everything right or judging them and just say, listen. I love you and God loves you. Let's Mm -hmm. be in this place together and find the healing and the hope and the peace and the edification that you need so much. And let's work on that. Let's, let's build places where people can find that love of God in our hearts, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. It's really good. And that mindset um, equips you to be able to see people, you know, you, we're, we've talked a lot about sort of seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. And we've talked about that personal identity, but we've also talked about how it's never, it's not just about me, it's about others as well. And it's love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And 
it's 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 so important that we recognize um it, not in a prideful way of course but that we recognize our significance in Christ um so that our confidence can be in Christ again not uh not just self-esteem but Christ-centered esteem I love I really like that distinction there but I, I think that that the mindset helps you to again because honoring people and serving people it's about not just seeing them where they are right now in their brokenness and with their problems but being able to see beyond those things and kind of see them the way that god sees them mm-hmm. you know that's how god looks at us and the more we get to know him and we become acquainted with his heart for people then we can express that to other people so that we can show the love of Christ to other people in the way that we love in the way that we serve people you know in the way that we honor people um and and so i i just think that that's uh when we've got this issue right like right like when we've got the issue of of love right and when we know who he is and we allow him to bring that change and transformation into our lives then it just positions us to be able to give that away to other people you know well said um well tina really really again really appreciate you i really appreciate your time uh that went fast <laughs> that hour plus went really fast um i want to mention a couple things just before we uh wrap up here. So we've got the book again, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You. And uh, that book, I know it's available on amazon.com. But we we could also point some folks, I'm going to bring up the uh, address for your website up on the screen for anybody watching. But for anybody that's just listening, the website is tinayeager.com. It's T-I-N-A-Y-E-A-G-E-R.com. And uh, there you can also find information about the book and about the uh, the coaching and life coaching that Tina does and some other resources that are available. Uh, Tina, where else would you point somebody or is there anything else that you'd like to point out to people that they could be aware of? Well, I mean, there's the Flourishment podcast and they can find that yeah, on the website as well. And we have interviews with experts and people with personal testimonies on how to live your life to the fullest. And I have a YouTube channel that I'm building and I have the Flourishment podcast on video there and some other extra videos as well are available on my YouTube channel, including dealing with stress. I do have a couple of courses that I just published on stress and anxiety. If people really want to get some comprehensive tips, I have 15 experts featured in that course. So that's on teachable.com. So there are lots of places, but they're all accessible on tinayeager.com. Perfect. So that's sort of like a good central hub yes. that people can find everything. So tinayeager.com. And uh, for anybody that's looking to connect with your, if they just want to try to find your YouTube channel, can they, what, what's the best way to find that? Is that just probably going through the website or if, is there well, something? Well, you could probably search me on uh, YouTube and find it. And I think I have links on my um, website for my channel for YouTube. Uh, let's see if I can find my link from there. 
don't know how to find and I'll the leave link links. <laughs> I'll leave some links in the show notes too for anybody checking this out on the podcast platform, uh, whether you know Spotify or Apple, wherever you guys are listening. I'll leave some uh, some links in the show notes to make it easier for you guys to follow up with some things there. But yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure. Was that, it? was that our outro music? Well, uh, I, I accidentally yeah. hit a video on the YouTube channel when I was looking for the address. Sorry. <laughs> it felt like one of those things, is it like at like the Golden Globes where you've been talking too long and then they play the music to try to get you to shut up, get you off the stage. Um, no, but Tina, again, thank you so much. Any just final thoughts? Any, any final, uh, final thing that you'd like to share before we end here officially? Just know that if you're out there and you're struggling with a poor sense of worth, are you feeling wounded? You're feeling disconnected. Know that you matter. Your story matters to God. Your relationship with God matters to him enough that he would be willing to die for you if it was only you. And that is the yeah. truth. And he's evidenced that by the way that he was willing to give his life for you. You are uniquely made. So read Psalm 139 if you have any doubts about that. You were uniquely crafted by a Lord who loves you dearly and you have a purpose and you have meaning and significance because of who God is, not just because of who you are. That's so good. That's so good. And let me, I just want to, uh, such a, such a, such a good word. Uh, I just want to piggyback on that and say, if you are struggling with your own self-worth or self-esteem or personal significance, that's a really great place to start is at the cross and paying attention to what Jesus, just thinking about what Jesus did for you, what the Son of God, God himself, did for you. Um, not just for me, not just for, uh, you know, not just, not for people that you think are perfect or better than you. He did it for you. He did it for you. And those people actually aren't better than you. But he did it for you because your life mattered that much. The King of Glory came down and paid the ultimate sacrifice. The Father gave His Son as payment for your life, redeeming your life, buying your life back from that place of of brokenness and death. Because He wanted you, He wanted you to be with Him because your life matters that much to God. Your life is that valuable to God. That doesn't make you significant. I don't know what else does. That's uh, that's the ultimate significance right there. That the f that the creator of this world was willing to purchase your life with the life of, life of his perfect son. Um, so anyway, again, Tina, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I appreciate the the work that you're doing and the resources and the content that you're putting out and um, the way that you are impacting the lives of of people by helping them walk through and deal with issues of the past, lies of the past, and to really step into the freedom that that Christ has uh, come to secure for them. So thank you again. And uh, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to check out this episode. If it blessed you, encouraged you, or added any value to your day, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, any of those things, I'd really, really appreciate it. So thank you guys so much. We'll be back on Thursday. Um, with the next episode. So thank you guys again so much for being here. Have an awesome day. See you next time.